Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bitch boys, bitch boys Bitch boys, bitch boys Bitch boys, bitch boys Now I need money Bitch boys, bitch boys Bitching the fuck out of shit It is Binge Boys. I'm Hal Rudnick sitting across from me and sacrificing his Sunday morning football in order to record. Uh, Lon Harris. We are, we are, it's a rare Sunday record. Mm-hmm. Maybe our first. I think this is our first ever. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm uneasy on Sunday morning, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll make it, we'll make it work anyway. Yeah. We're making it work. Uh, but uh, I, I got to ask, uh, who, who do you, who do you like in the big game? I have no, who's playing? I have no idea. I are we at know. the, we're I, not at the Super Bowl yet. No, it's too early just, for that. I was just you throwing out the, the, a generic quote unquote listen. big game. <laughs> Don't fuck with me. That's mean. That like, cause that I would be like, oh shit, there's a Super Bowl that we know who's playing, and I don't know the teams, and now I feel bad. But then it's like, no, it's only January, you bastard. There's the Super, Super Bowl, Bowl of college football is tomorrow. I don't care about that. Are I, you I a thought, Roll Tide guy or are you a Georgia Bulldog? <laughs> I mean, if I have to choose between those two, I, I don't care. Uh, Georgetown, fine. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. George, did you say Georgetown? That's right. Those were one of the two options, right? No, Georgia Bulldogs. Oh, Georgia. Georgia. I'm, I oh, don't know. Oh, but Georgetown. Oh, yeah, the Georgetown Hoyas. They're, anyway. Yeah, Alabama and Georgia, the Bowl Championship Series. Isn't it streaming, okay. Lon? Are we going to talk about that today? The uh, on, I don't actually think. I don't know if that is streaming. Probably who, not. Who, probably what was it, it on CBS? Probably on terrestrial television. To CBS, NBC, one of the, one of the biggies. Well, if it's on CBS, then it wi- it will also run concurrently on Paramount Plus. That's what I was going to say. Ah, good to know. Good to know. Lon, great having our sports catch up. I love that every every always show. You can, good. Yes, you we can, are going to talk. We are going to talk about sports today. We have a we have a news story that is sport related. And for more of our sports talk, you should uh, check out our paywall uh, behind the no, paywall. Don't, on our don't lie to the people. I'm There's nowhere right you now. can hear me talk about sports, but you would not want to, folks. You would not want to. I don't know what I'm talking about. But you know what I always want to hear? I always want to hear Lon Harris talk about the news and streaming. The news with Lon. Well, let's start with our, our sports story since we're already talking about uh, the big fake games that aren't happening. Uh, NBC Universal announced all of its Winter Olympics coverage from Beijing mm. is going to stream on Peacock Premium. That's the $5. You get ads. $10 for Peacock with no ads. $5 gets you some ads, but you get access to the full Peacock library rather than just selections like the free people do. Oh, 
Uh, thanks. Uh, the, you, you know what pushed me over the edge to get that Peacock Premium, that MacGruber, that MacGruber. And I, and I haven't looked back. The great, uh, great, no regrets about that move because MacGruber is uh, paying dividends and laughs. I mean, we, we talked about, there's a lot. I just was speaking to, uh, I believe it was uh, Mike Kalinowski from the Schmodown just this week yes. on Twitter about uh, people don't know because they're not, they're not doing a good job of marketing Peacock outside of the like NBC universal world. Like I feel like a lot of people who aren't paying attention just assume Peacock doesn't have a lot of stuff or is like all just like old episodes of The Office or whatever. I feel like they've kind of painted themselves too much with that brush. There's actually a lot of good original shows on Peacock. We've talked about some of them. Girls 5 Eva, Rutherford Falls, Dr. Death, obviously uh, now MacGruber, that Saved by the Bell reboot is pretty good. Uh, they're thinking you know, they got a lot of movies. Like I'm not trying to make this. We don't, we're not sponsored by Peacock, but but we would we would gladly accept it. Yeah, but I feel like that's <laughs> the one that is at this point the most flying under the radar. Like people don't realize that Peacock is as good as it is. We got to turn them onto the cock. Yeah, there you go. Uh, everybody should love cock as much as I do. Is what I'm saying. Exactly. So I was upset last summer when I discovered that oh I could watch. I'm I'm a big basketball fan. I want to watch those Olympic international basketball games. And I went to Peacock and it's like, oh, uh, this is behind the paywall. Pal. Yeah, it and was. Like, oh, I was steamed. It was a terrible experience. Everybody sort of agreed that Peacock for the summer games was a bad experience. It was oh, yeah. very hard to find whatever you were looking for. Mm-hmm. It would be like there would be three replays going on at a time. And it was like a beach volleyball match you don't care about. And then some yeah. random side soccer matchup and it was just it didn't feel like you had the olympics at your fingertips it felt like you get this very limited window of stuff that they wanted to show you that didn't include most of the big stuff like the big usa basketball games yes uh so that we're going the totally opposite way for the winter games they're dumping literally every all of nbc sports coverage of the olympics is going to peacock full live streams for all 15 sports Full replays, opening and closing ceremonies, the NBC Daily Primetime, you know, three-hour wrap-up show. Uh, it's all coming. It's all going to stream right on Peacock, uh, and that's going behind the paywall. Well, yeah, you have to pay five bucks a month for the right. ad, the the tier with ads. You can't watch it for free. For free, right. they're only going to have limited stuff. But if you pay the five bucks a month, you'll get the full Olympics. So if you want that sweet, sweet luge. If you want that hot luge action, yeah, you got to pay the five bucks. That hot luge action. Or if you're like our friend, podcast listener on Twitter, Yager Lemieux, and you want those sweet saves and slap shots of the international hockey competition... You are gonna have to. What's your What's your favorite Winter Olympic event, Hal? Which Which would be your number one? Years ago, when I was a big hockey fan, I've I've become less a little less of a hockey fan. uh, There was a huge Canada versus USA game. This Mm -hmm. is like I'm talking like year 2000 or yeah, I remember this. Sure, yeah, and uh, I was just geeked for that. Nowadays, uh, oh man, it's just kind of the grab bag of whatever's clever. Listen, I fall in love with America's darlings, uh, the uh, the figure skaters and uh, the international, like s- seeing them do their uh, triple sow cows. That might be it. Oh, but the hockey, hockey and sk- anything. Oh, it's, I guess it's on ice. I guess it's on ice. Yeah. And I guess that's uh, most of the sport. <laughs> I, 
I like the I like the skiing. I, I like skiing. The, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe it's the only sport at the at either Olympics that I have personally done. Like not that I'm Olympic. I, I'm alpine skiing, but I've been skiing. So like I can recognize like how insane what the athletes are doing is. Whereas like speed skating, I don't relate to like I've, I've never done anything like that. I have no way to relate to it. But don't you can't tell me you didn't have a crush on Apollo Anton Ono. I don't I don't know who that is. Uh, what about uh, what about the snowboarding? Yeah, I like the I like I like the skiing and the snowboarding. I think it's exciting to watch, and I can I can tell like a lot of Olympic sports they're fun to watch, but I can't tell who's doing a good job. Like bobsled, unless you like flip the bobsled over and you bust your ass, I can't tell you've done a good or a bad job. Like they I'll made enjoy, it. I'll enjoy this like the the snowboard when when they're in like the, the what the snowboard uh, pipe or whatever it is, and they're they're getting shreddy with it. I like seeing them getting shreddy shredding the gnar it's right it's not like i don't enjoy the other stuff i just like i don't know i feel like i could get more invested in the in the skiing events but i'll tell you one thing uh, as well i'm perfectly fine not watching any of it really yeah i mean i'll catch the highlights not not an olympic i'm I'm surprised because you're olympic fan because i I like the olympics and you're a more of a sports guy than me yeah i think that's what i like about it is as as a non-sports fan like as a sports fan as if you don't watch sports and then you jump into like an NBA game or a college football game or yeah. a baseball game, especially baseball yeah. is the most guilty of this. It is like joining a TV show in season 78. Like you're <laughs> lost. You have no idea who anyone is. Everybody's talking about all of this stuff. Like it's super obvious. And like, you know who all these people are and these matchups and you're invested in all these storylines. It's, it's a lot of work to get into. It's a little inside baseball. Whereas in the Olympics, mm. they know you don't know who any of these fucking people are and you're not invested in it. So it's more like, hey, this is your first time watching Speed Skating 2. Come join us. And I, I, I appreciate I appreciate that. That it's the people commenting are like, oh, I know that you don't know all the rules of curling. Here are the rules of curling. And it's not presented in this way like you're going to remember curlers from 10 years ago. And right. like, oh, this curler worked with that coach who, of course, you know from this other thing. And it's yeah, like this, curl, this, this curly worked with Mo and Larry. Let me ask you this, Lon. The, uh, do you like those heart rending packages no no i don't care about that i don't really care about that at the age of 13 he thought he would never walk again it's the same genre for that and uh the reality show like if you're going to be on american idol or if you're going to be a speed skater they send the same people to make your documentary profile uh, with the uh, tinkly uh, piano behind and then it's like yeah oh yeah nothing like a a good package that tugs at the heartstrings that's yeah exactly you're right you're right more to say about the Olympics. So okay. that that's all scheduled to happen between February 4th through the 20th. But it's interesting to note that there's so many challenges. We're not, because China doesn't really like, they don't tell us everything that's going on with them. They're a little... Yeah, they, they, they like to keep it close to the vest. Yeah. Right. So we don't know exactly. They're saying everything's going great. The, the most recent quote was, Chinese officials assured the world that there will be a, quote, safe 
streamlined and splendid event. So hope that that sounds good. I yes. like a splendid. I like a splendid State event. State regulated media has declared it to be right. a safe, streamlined event. Uh, already, we we have the diplomatic boycott here. Right, it's a there are of nations. The United yes. States. Um, is it also Canada and Great Britain? I think there are several nations. Yeah, it seems like it's still very much in flux. Like none of these countries have said definitely we're not going to the Olympics. Americans are proceeding as if we are. Oh, Amer- we're holding American athletes are proceeding, but American diplomats will right. not be. And, yeah. but yeah, and. and and we're, we're in this situation where there's a lot of diplomatic back and forth, and there may be some countries that pull their delegation entirely. We don't know. It's it's all still up in the air. In addition to that, yeah. obviously, Omicron and COVID continue to persist, and that's oh, yeah. going to be a real issue for any Olympics happening in less than a month. And they're not getting a lot of snow in the areas of northern China and Beijing where they're actually going to hold the Olympics so they're going to be requiring they're going to be relying almost entirely on man-made snow and ice wow yeah so that's going to be it's like the alpine skiing course in Yangqing is going to require 1.2 million cubic meters of fake snow all on its own oh boy I, that's I, a lot of fake snow so what are they, are they going to bring in the guy from big bear who dry who has the uh the the, the that big tube that spits out the fake yeah snow? i'm assuming it's just the one guy one guy from big bear one guy from mammoth willie, that's all you willie, need willie willie from big bear <laughs> you know willie right another option would to bring would be to uh, yeah empty out the prisons and you give a bunch of convicts ice cubes and cheese graters and then they walk up and down the mountain yeah Slave slave labor. <laughs> That's what Hal Rudnick recommends. China, if you're listening, I mean, just empty out those prisons. Here's the thing. There, let, let's. Can we talk? Permission to speak frankly. Oh boy, I don't know if I want to give permission for this, but okay. All I'm saying is their human rights track record is not stellar already. Yours or uh, China's? <laughs> What's that? Oh, my, yours or no, China's? No, my, my. How Rudnick's human rights record Listen, is spotty at best, folks. China and I both have uh, some questionable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Empty out. Anytime you're making a suggestion like this sounds simple. Step one, empty out them prisons. I'm dubious. I'm already. The antenna's going up. Like, wait, yeah. what? Why are we what emptying I'm, out the prisons? What I'm suggesting is, is like one notch below running man. <laughs> yeah, it's really not. It's it's not it's not great. Don't do that. China, if you're listening, China, don't do that. Let's move on. Uh, yeah. We were talking a little about COVID. Let's get the rest of this COVID stuff out of the way because it's oh, a bummer. Oh, boy. More of this COVID stuff? Yeah, well, you know. I've got it's... COVID fatigue, and I'm not talking <laughs> about uh, uh, long-haul symptoms. Oh, wow. Yeah, take dark. It's a dark show. Human tra- human slave, yeah, slave labor, COVID, long COVID. Oh, yeah. We're really no, tackling it all. Is, we, we, that'll That's, be a the That's a different show. That's a different show. We'll hit that. Okay. Uh, yeah, once again, COVID shutting down Hollywood production. Amazon and Disney already, they'd already, before the start of the year, said we're not even going to start filming stuff until the second or third week of January. Not worth it. But CBS, Viacom CBS, was trying to get production going this week. Uh, It did not go well. NCIS, NCIS LA, and Picard all had their uh, production shut down after people started testing positive for Omicron. Picard, 50 people on the Picard set tested positive for COVID on Monday, their very first day back from the holiday break. And that included people in Zone A. When I say Zone A, that means the actors and the people who work directly with the actors, like the makeup people. You know what probably happened? Um, Someone, someone 
uh, went over to that craft service table and double dipped into that hummus. That's someone, it. Just, someone just one double dip. <laughs> one double dip. And then it is like, pew, wildfire. This is why that's been uh, Dr. Fauci's number one talking point all along. It's like, stop double dipping. Stop double dipping, and especially at Crafty. And that's why Tucker Carlson is so upset. Like, this charlatan doesn't want you to double dip your chip, folks. Listen, Trader Joe's hummus is good. Everybody wants it. Every And if you have a large chip, what are you supposed to do? Just shove the whole thing into your mouth with one yeah. dip? Tucker Carlson demands our freedoms. Well, <laughs> Tucker Carlson, he, if you get the mild and the medium salsa, he can't have any of the medium. Too spicy, no, too spicy. No. So he's got to just, it's he's got to get as much of that mild as he can before it runs out. Yep. He's a very, he's a very white man. Uh, so anyway, COVID still going on, apparently. This has been the news. Yeah. Uh, moving on, the Wall Street Journal and the Hollywood Reporter both this week reported that Viacom, CBS, and Warner Media looking to sell that CW network. Oh, they're not into it anymore. The CW, of course, formed back in 2006. Can you believe it? That that's how old the CW is. It's over 15 Dang. years old now. From the merger of UPN and the WWWB, yeah. uh, it's never really been a profitable venture. They, they've never really made CW totally come together. Uh, in fact, it makes more money not from advertising, but from selling the streaming rights internationally to its programming. So most of the CW's business now is making shows and then selling them off to the streaming platforms in different countries uh, for other people to watch. Here's what's interesting. Yes. They were hanging on to CW up until a few years ago, like 2019, right. I think. CW sold all of its U.S. shows to Netflix, and that would also grow their audience. So, like, Riverdale would debut on CW. Maybe not that many people would watch it on TV, but then season one would go on to Netflix. Lots of people would watch it there, and yes. then maybe some of them would trickle back to CW. It was kind of a virtuous cycle. All American also grew its audience much larger by being on Netflix, but that doesn't happen anymore. Anymore. Now, half of the CW shows go to HBO Max and the other half go to Paramount Plus. There's none left for Netflix. So they're losing that as a revenue stream. And now not as many people are discovering the shows afterward. Right, right. Crazy. What are you going to do if you're a Walker fan? You can't find it on Netflix anymore. Mm-hmm. And That's the Walker Texas Ranger reboot, folks. Yes, I forgot about Jared Padalecki from uh, Supernatural. Padalecki? That's how you pronounce it. Jared, whatever from Supernatural, is now uh, Walker. He's the new Walker, Texas Ranger. Is is Haley Joel Osment gonna make a uh, return uh, playing his same character, <laughs> uh, saying no, he that, survived AIDS? Uh, yeah, I mean, he would have to come out like Walker says, "I'm cured from AIDS." <laughs> uh, that I doubt. Would be it. Beautiful. I doubt. And are, all the superhero shows are on CW, right? Yes, that's the, they're most notable for all those DC comics. We get Naomi debuts this week, the new one from Ava DuVernay. Yep, brought to us from Ava DuVernay, yep. Yeah, Superman and Lois is back. Where do most of those shows air uh, in their streaming life? Now, they used to all go to Netflix, but right. now it's HBO Max. They go gotcha. to that DC portal on HBO Max, or they're going mm. to. I think the Netflix deals for some of those are still wrapping up. So there may be some times where they're still going there, but no, HBO Max is where those are going to live from now on. 
All right, all right. There you go. Uh, In the DC hub, you know, like HBO Max has that DC hub. It used to be DC Universe, but then that mm-hmm. went away. And so now they're that's that's basically what we're seeing is as all the as all these big media companies start consolidating their streaming platforms, there's just going to be less room for stuff like a CW where it's making content and then just selling it off as a third party. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit confusing. I feel well. It's the it's a situation that it, we're 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 in this fascinating time where there's a lot of there there are some attempts to sort of explore alternate ways. Like not everybody is obviously going to be like big enough to be AT and T and own you know their their HBO Max and their oh, yeah. movie studio and it's all in one house. So you do get situations like Lionsgate is really interesting now where they've mm. got a movie studio and they've got stars. So they've got an entry into the streaming world like you can get stars as a standalone streaming service it's also available through amazon channels but Mm -hmm. they're probably going to get bought at some point by one of these other companies it's like it's it's interesting to exist in that in between space totally totally makes sense makes sense and then there's the amc plus the amc strategy of amc has their you know obviously cable networks but then they also have a bunch of different niche services shutter amc plus uh, mm-hmm. All black, you know, there's like three or four or five of them. Right. And, you know, like, well, maybe that'll be the, who, who knows? It's a, it's an interesting time. And then there's cute little Tubi. And there's Tubi. Well, those are those are ad supported. It's like Tubi, Roku Channel, where mm-hmm. they're just pulling in whatever content they can. And then it's really an ad platform. Let's move on. Wes Anderson announced his second Roald Dahl adaptation. He, of course, did the stop motion animated Fantastic Mr. Fox in 2009. Oh, yeah. He's going to delightful. return. He's going to return for Netflix to make a film out of the short story, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. Benedict Cumberbatch will star as a gambler who discovers an ancient secret that allows him to see through cards. Cheat, basically. Uh, He then uses his winnings to open a chain of international orphanages. Uh, The cast is also going to include Ray Fiennes. Dev Patel and Ben Kingsley. Good cast there. Good good cast. It's the story of Burt Sugar. Henry Sugar. Henry, Henry Sugar. Henry Sugar. Oh, Henry okay. Sugar. For some reason, I, I guess I just wanted to hear Burt Sugar, who was <laughs> an old-time sports writer. Yeah, we all yeah. know Burt Sugar, yeah. Uh, uh, what about be... water? Are you a fan of uh, Watermelon Sugar, the Harry Styles song? Yes, that that's the song that they say is about uh, going going down on a lady, even though I'm not— I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I hear it. I'm not sure I understand what he's trying to say about that activity. You know what? Uh, maybe we'll have to talk about that behind the paywall. Long. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't get. The, I don't get the metaphor. I'm trying to understand the central metaphor, folks. Well, he's he's talking about like when a lady, you know, uh, gets uh, all worked. Does that up. does that strike you as similar to up. as a substance to to the sugar that would come from out of a watermelon? Uh, you know, in I don't see it. In I don't see in it. In theory, yes. Exactly. Practice. Exactly. Thank you. I think you're making. I think you're. I think you're making my point. This is. This is a. As an abstract, you're like, oh, I get that. But then when you think about it as a metaphor, it's like it's not really a very good metaphor. Yeah. It's like if you were trying to talk about climate change, but Mm -hmm. then you suddenly started talking about this comet, you'd be like, wait, that's not a very good metaphor. Oh, are we? We're going. We're going back. And scene. All right, let's move. Oh, (laughs) see what I did, folks. Do you see what I did there? Do you uh, see what I did there? I I prefer don't look up to launch, but uh, <laughs> uh, 
Okay, okay. Noted. <laughs> Noted. I'm sticking to my guns. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the one thing I wanted to say about this, uh, Netflix in 2020 purchased the Roald Dahl Story Company. So they own the rights to all of his published work. So they must have, they, they're, they're working on a ton of stuff. There's that Matilda musical. They're doing mm-hmm. two different shows with Taika Waititi about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Right. Uh, they've got the Twits, an adaptation of the Twits. And now pile this on top. They're just going to be cranking out the Roald Dahl from uh, from Netflix for a while. Ah, uh, 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 Roald Dahl, the the man behind so many childhood stories and noted anti-Semite. He was not a big fan of the Jews, but listen, if you were a proper British gentleman in the 1940s and 50s, you were probably not a big fan of the Jews. Like, I don't I don't know if we need to single Roald Dahl out necessarily. It was not his specific problem. You said if you're a, a proper British gentleman in the uh, in the 19... in the 40s, uh, come on, 40s, I, not 40s. even just 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 British, Euro- European. They they were not huge fans. Oh, I mean, yeah, uh, so it's taken some, some time. Some, some Europeans had a had a Holocaust over. It. Yeah, right. It was like it was it, it was a long time ago. It was uh, there were a lot of oh, divisive boy. feelings about our our people. Yes. It was the era when a British writer might, you know, write some very cartoonish, stereotypical goblin bankers into their book. And then we'd be like, ah, let's just make them Jews. Let's, you know. Thank you, Jon Stewart. It's another, it's another reference. Fresh, fresh pop culture reference. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for this, though. I really like Wes Anderson's uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I feel like it's a good match of... You know, like Roald Dahl's like weird, kind of dryly funny, dark, absurd stuff in Wes Anderson's vibe. Yeah, I I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. Also, uh, with that and Isle of Dogs, Wes Anderson just has a great, lovely track record of of stop motion, of, of stop motion animation yeah. that just uh, nicely fits into his his vision. His yeah, style. this one is not stop motion. This is live action. Oh, okay. There you go. Henry, um, Henry Sugar is going to be live action. Oh, I didn't realize. Didn't realize. Yeah, not stop motion. But Benedict Cumberbatch will really be playing this guy. I was just at that cast you listed. I was saying, oh, in my head, that that's a nice cast of voice actors. No, but they, yeah, they're going to be in that shit. Noted. <laughs> uh, Netflix also announced plans for an animated series based on the comic book Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I oh, can sure. technically, I can call this an anime series because it is going to be produced by a Japanese anime studio, uh, Saru. They're the people that are behind Devilman Crybaby. So it is a technically a Scott Pilgrim anime, but it will have non-Japanese, some members of the creative team. Uh, Scott Pilgrim, of course, already inspired a 2010 live-action film from Edgar Wright. He's yeah. going to produce the show along with the creator of the Scott Pilgrim comic books, Brian Lee O'Malley, and Are You Afraid of the Dark showrunner Ben David Grabinski. All right, very nice. Yeah, I really enjoyed really enjoyed the movie. And wh- and this is it's not is it set up to air anywhere? Did you say Netflix? This is through is Netflix. Netflix. So this will gotcha. be a Netflix animated series. I mean, I'm imagining like Edgar Wright's movie took more liberties with the comic. It's a long comic, and they condensed it into this like one movie uh, mm-hmm. and changed some stuff. I feel like my guess would be with the original author being on board that this will be a more faithful adaptation of the comics. Something to look forward to. I, I've never read the comics, so I'm not sure. But I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I, I've got. I'm. I'm sort of divided on the story of of Scott Pilgrim. It feels a little. It feels a little weird uh, and a little reductive to me. I'm not. I'm. I don't know. I've always oh. had my issues with the story. I just think I love the way that Edgar Wright made it into a film, and I think it's very fun and moves very fast. And it's very like compelling. 
Uh, are you talking about though the uh, the kind of gender roles where uh, I'm, just, I'm yeah, going to just... fight on behalf of this woman? I am the yeah, man. Yeah, I'll fight the other men. Exactly. It, it's yeah. it's entire take on relationships. I don't mm-hmm. know if I like relate to it very much, and like it, it, yeah, it, like the worldview of of how people get together and what relationships are all about, especially new relationships. I just don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I never really related to Scott Pilgrim. I just enjoy it as a film. Well, I can connect to it because if you, if, 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 if some palooka steps to my lady, I'll bop him in the nose. Yeah, that's, that's what it's about. It's about Hal's long history of dealing with jabronis. Jabronis and palookas. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I'm excited to see it, but I don't, if you were like, uh, I can't wait to get back into the world of Scott Pilgrim, I, that's, that's not necessarily a thing, I think. I just like Edgar Wright movies. Oh, that's not something I've ever said. Yeah, I, I think it's more like I like Edgar Wright movies than I like the world of Scott Pilgrim. For me, personally. I do. I do like Edgar Wright movies, but I do feel like he's a titch overrated. Well, I, I didn't love Baby Driver, and I have not, I will Same. admit, I have not seen The Last Night in Soho. Yeah, I haven't even although seen The First Night in Soho. I do, hey! Although I do like Anya Taylor-Joy's rendition of the Petunia Clark song, Downtown. I enjoyed that. Did you hear that? No. She re-recorded a cover of Downtown for the movie, and it plays Downtown. in the trailer. Yeah, that's the one, you know. Well, when you're alone and life is making you lonely, you yeah. can always go downtown. downtown. So anyway, I, I'd like to see it, but I like his other stuff. That's that's the only Edgar Wright one that really gives me serious. Um, I thought uh, the uh, the end of the world was uh, a little. Uh, uh, one, it's called the world's end. Oh, the and world's two, end. I think that movie is delightful. Oh, I, I thought it was okay. I, I but I. Feel like it's a distant third in that uh, Cornetto. Trip. I mean, Hot Fuzz clearly. Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. I think are... Hot Fuzz is maybe his best film ever. So like, good, it's so my good. favorite. He's. I think he's got some great stuff, and then some stuff that gets overrated because it's associated with the great. I stuff. would anyway. say he's got some hot stuff, baby. This evening. Moving on. That's the song. That's the song. Amazon's moving forward with a planned series adaptation of the Fallout video games from Westworld creators Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. Now, we knew this was happening. This was announced way back in the summer of 2020, but it had... We hadn't had an update in a while, and it was one of those projects where we were like, is that still happening, that weird Fallout thing? We so don't know. But a recent Fallout from the announcement. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, no. We, we, all we know, really know is it's moving forward. Jonathan Nolan is going to direct the pilot episode. They're, they're working on it. So that's going to be fun. That's a, that's a big, crazy world. I mean, this is another big, expensive, epic undertaking from Amazon Studios. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a fallout boy. It's set in a post-apocalyptic wasteland among, like, survivors after a nuclear war. But the, the twist is it wasn't our civilization before the nuclear war. It was like a futuristic version of like the 50s. So there was this huge amount of like optimism about, it's like a retro futurism. Like if you can imagine like, what if a nuclear apocalypse happened in Disneyland's Tomorrowland, not our actual world. And so it gets a lot of humor out of like how upbeat and technologically utopian the vision was of the people before versus now everything has just been laid waste and is just a mutant-filled wasteland where you're, like, struggling to survive and at, at in immediate danger of being irradiated or blown up. Gotcha. Cool. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a, It's got a, a lot of personality as a world. My one thing is that it the games are funny. Like, 
there's a lot of humor in the mocking that 50s techno-utopian sort of idealism. And I don't, I don't necessarily think of Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy's work as terrifically funny. Right, right. I mean, there's... Like, Westworld's not very funny. Not very Reminiscence, funny. that Lisa Joy movie was not very mm, funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With Hugh Jackman, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't want to say they, they're not up to it. I like both of them a lot. But uh, we'll, 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 we'll a see. chance. But back to uh, something uh, else you were saying. Yeah, it's another big, uh, just a layered, detailed world yeah. they're creating. In addition to, you know, you got World of Time, you, or Wheel of Time, you got uh, Lord of the Rings, and so a lot of big yeah. budget. Uh, the Expanse that you're just wrapping up over there. On Amazon, Amazon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Beavis and Butthead creator Mike Judge announced this week that the duo will return in a new Paramount Plus film and possibly more in the next year. So my guess would be if the movie does well, maybe they'll do another revival season or two of the show. This is going to be the duo's first movie since 1996's Beavis and Butthead Do America. Uh, the show originally debuted in 93. MTV did do that one season revival. That was already 10 years ago, back in 2011. Wow. Damn. More, more Beavis and Butthead, or as my, my, my dad used to call them, Beaver and Butt Brain. There you go. Close enough. Close enough. Yeah. I, think it, uh, I, th- I think it nails it. I, I enjoyed seeing, uh, I enjoyed the, the, the Beavis and Butthead memes of uh, uh, Matt Gates and uh, Kelly, uh, God, oh, uh, Kellyanne Conway. Oh, Kellyanne Conway. I thought you were maybe yeah. Kaylee McEnany was where you were oh, going no, with no, that. No. Uh, yeah. But I, like, literally forgot that that lady existed in the yes. last few months. Like, I haven't thought about that name in so long. That was wild. Wow. Kellyanne Conway. Yes, of course. Kellyanne Conway and Matt Gates side by right. side. Right. She was. She would She would have been Beavis. Yes. Yeah, to and Matt Gates's butthead. Matt Gates, uh, he's uh, inside, uh, he, he's got a giant forehead where he keeps all of his weird ideas. Yeah, and he's, he's also kind of got the, the, the butthead lip thing, whereas like his top, like, he's, like he can see a little bit of gum and teeth sometimes. <laughs> like it's, it's overall, he's got a butthead-esque sort of, sort of vibe for sure. And stupid. Also, he's, he's very stupid. And also, allegedly, a uh, human trafficker. Oh, we got to the human trafficking portion. We got it. We brought it around, <laughs> folks. We did it. That's the word allegedly. of the day. That's allegedly. today's Wordle. <laughs> Have you played Wordle, Hal? Are you on the Wordle? No, you on but the I've Wordle seen, thing? Yeah, this is the second time in a couple of days that I've... Uh, that I've. Um... Well, everybody's obsessed with it now. I, I went and checked it out. It's, All it's, right, I'm uh, going to check, I'm gonna check out Wordle. Um, you know yeah. what? I am going to check it out. There you go. Check out check out Wordle, folks. Matt Gates would be terrible at it because he's not a I smart bet. guy. Final news story. An upcoming home renovation show has been pulled from the Magnolia Network and Discovery Plus schedule after oh numerous God. complaints from homeowners. Candace and Andy Meredith host homework, uh, but a number of individuals in the Salt Lake City area have publicly accused the duo of going over budget shoddy workmanship, falling Uh behind schedule, and failing to pay the various contractors they brought in to complete the jobs. So some of these contractors, the show is done, and the contractors are going back to the homeowners and like, hey, you still owe me for that island we put in in your kitchen. It's like, no, no, no. That's Candace and Andy Meredith's project. I'm not responsible for this. They've been sold a false bill of goods. They've been duped. That's crazy. Hornswoggled, bamboozled. This was always something, uh, you know, Kitchen Nightmares, that Gordon Ramsay show? Yes. You know what I'm talking about. So in the UK version, he just goes and like 
tells the people who own the restaurants what they need to do. He does not buy things for them. The mm-hmm. U.S., we our reality shows are always like, you need a new oven, and here it is. I've got you a new oven. But in the U.K. version, it's so harsh. He goes and is like, well, you need a new oven. This oven's crap, mate. And they're like, well, yeah, but that guy, that's going to cost me, you know, 50,000 pounds. And he's like, well, you need it. Yeah. End of scene. And it's just like, holy shit, he's not going to buy them that oven. That's crazy. <laughs> They don't want. They don't want handouts. So apparently, uh, th- this uh, this makeover show. Uh, wh- what is it called? Home homework. 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 Uh, it's like, yeah, you're gonna have to do the homework uh, as, as yeah. far as like opening up your uh, wallet. Your- it's what you would call if you were gonna do improv, but an in call service. Like we'll come to your house and do improv. You're doing some homework. That didn't quite compute for me. Because an improv is a, a work. You know, you're doing a work. Oh, sure, you're doing a work. You're doing a now work. you're doing a homework. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that, that's how we pitch it at the Upright Citizens Brigade. <laughs> yeah, like, we'll come to your house, 30-minute, in call. The groundlings will do a Zoom call with you. <laughs> that's like, if, if being an improviser was like 15% more like being a sex worker, this is what it would be. It was like, you could, do a, you could, do a, you could come to us, you could come to the theater, or we'll, or we'll come to you. I mean, it's very much doing improv is very much like being a sex worker because often after a show you'll feel guilty and ashamed. Yeah, and no one respects you. Yeah, uh, you're <laughs> you're scrambling for funds. Listen, I'm just kidding. To the sex workers, a lot of people respect you. Improvisers, yes. not very yes. much, but the sex workers that listen, we have a lot of respect. Probably more guilt and shame after an improv show. Oh, I would say for sure. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of people on social media that are like, listen, we love and respect the sex workers. Not so much for improvisers. You, really, oh, yeah. you rarely see that messaging. Beat them like a pinata <laughs> without, without repercussion. Yeah. yeah. It's like whole activists around respecting sex work on the internet. Oh, Never seen it. Never seen it for improv comedy. Not at all. Not, not one time. One, not one no, time. It is open season. We want you to feel ashamed. Comedians. We want yes. you to feel ashamed. Yes. Shame works in this case. Absolutely, and <laughs> the, and the imp- and the improviser will use that shame as grist for the mill. There as, you go. As they're trying to come up with a second beat off of that suggestion. Yeah. In their herald long form <laughs> yeah. improv. Yes, indeed. Yes, and yes, and long. I'm not yes ending. We're done. That's the end of the news. I'm no no more yes ending. When the news is done, I stop yes ending. Coming up, you will find the lost daughter. Juan, director. I see what you did there. I get. I get it. We'll find the lost daughter. I understand. Maggie Gyllenhaal, her feature directorial debut. Yeah. The Lost Daughter dropped on Netflix. It's available on Netflix. I was very excited about this. And you know what? It uh, I, I feel like it, it paid off my excitement. Oh, oh, I, good. Okay, I thought I thought with your lead, in, it was going to be like, and I thought it fucking sucked, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to defend it now. And 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 it and it coasted in DOA. It just like <laughs> flopped on my doorstep. No, I really, I really. How dare uh, you? You know, I had to recalibrate myself a little bit as I was watching the movie because, like, it's not a, if you're expecting like big swings or if you're expecting. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm gonna try not to. You know, obviously, give too much away or anything. But like, if you're expecting, oh, someone's gonna get kidnapped and a daughter is like, are they gonna need ransom for the daughter or something? Like, I didn't expect that. I wasn't expecting. <laughs> it's fucking it's Mel not Gibson a kidnapped daughter. Yeah, it's not that kind of movie. 
But like I thought there might be a couple of bigger swings. No, it's a slower burn. It's a psychological journey and it does an amazing job of it. And the acting is stellar. And so much of the film, the promotion of the film going into it revolved, I, I was hearing uh, Olivia Coleman, who is one of the greats. We are, we are living in a golden age to be able to see Olivia Coleman's work time after time. Uh, but it was Olivia Coleman and Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson was very good, but Jesse Buckley yeah. uh, like came to play. Jesse Buckley and Olivia Coleman drive this movie and intermittently, you hate these characters, you, uh, and then you're empathetic or sympathetic for these characters, and the performances are so strong. I, I really enjoyed uh, this, uh, the journey that they take you on into the psyche of these characters in The Lost Daughter. Lon, hit me with some thoughts. Please. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree, and, and I think that it, it does, you know, sort of what you're saying, like it uses the elements of a thriller. It feels like a thriller even mm -hmm. though it's almost entirely internalized. There really isn't there really isn't a lot that's happening on this island. It's it's about a, a, a bunch of people who are vacationing on a fictional Greek island. Uh it was filmed in the Greek Isles, but they they made up this particular island. Mm -hmm. Uh and it's a uh, you know Olivia Coleman is this single middle-aged British woman who like lives in teaches at Harvard, I think we're supposed to assume, lives in yeah. Cambridge. Yeah. Uh She's she's vacationing there alone, and there is also this large uh, Italian American family from New York that is mm -hmm. also vacationing on the same island at the same time. And as she sort of sees them on the beach and gets to know them a little bit, just you know, from being next to them all day on the beach, uh, she starts to interact with them, and it reminds her of her own experiences as a young mother, which is Jesse Buckley's playing her as a young woman in flashbacks, and. It really is almost entirely internalized within her character. Not a lot is happening on this beach that in terms of like, that you would think of as movie type action. It will be like, she goes to a nightclub and meets up with Ed Harris, who's the guy who's the caretaker for her house. Or they get into a weird confrontation at the toy store and that sort of plays out. But Maggie Gyllenhaal's doing this incredible job of putting you inside Olivia Coleman's perspective so well that it does feel like a thriller. We're nervous for her. We're anxious mm -hmm. for her. We're, you know, like there, there is a lot of suspense that grows about this doll that a child loses and Olivia Coleman has and who's gonna see the doll and how are we gonna get the doll back? And that is such a minor thing when I describe it. It's about a child's doll, but it does, by the end of this movie, it feels very eventful and important. You place the same kind of significance on it that the characters have. And that's the sign of, like a, a storyteller doing a really good job that we're, we're so in this moment and in these characters heads that not a lot really has to happen for it to have an emotional impact on us, the viewer. Right. And that's, you know, that's a little bit more real life. Well, of course. Yeah, we're not constantly getting kidnapped and in exactly. spy situations. Where Real life is what happens in between these bombastic events. And I think Maggie Gyllenhaal does such a great job of putting just thoughts and memories and perspectives that we don't always see under the microscope here. And I, it's an unflinching view of parenthood, motherhood, and like someone who has an ambivalence or uh, a um, is a little bit more hands-off about 
being a parent and then dealing with picking up the pieces, uh, reconciling with that later in life. The the, yeah. the the flashbacks. Yeah, Jesse Buckley. I would, you know, I, I don't. This is stupid hyperbole and stuff, but uh, I think it's apt here. I think Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley should both be nominated for Academy Awards. Well, Jesse Buckley was just on the shortlist, uh, the National Society of Film Critics. She was on their supporting actress shortlist. So she's got a shot. I would say they both have a shot right now at a nom. Uh, One other actor I would shout out, uh, I believe it's Dagmara Dominich, is how you would pronounce her name? She's Mm -hmm. Polish-American. She uh, she plays Callie, who is Dakota Johnson's sister-in-law. Yes. In the film, she's pregnant for the whole film. Mm-hmm. I did not recognize her, but yeah. she is also on. She's got a major role on Succession. Did you pick this up? She's Carolina, the head of PR for Waystar Royco in Succession. Oh wow! Now that you say that, it kind of it clicks for me. I can. Pick I watched this entire movie. Like this actress is great. Who is this? Why do I not know who this person is? And then I got to the end and I was like, Dagmar, Dominique, I know that name somewhere. Then I looked her up and it's like, oh shit. She's also, interesting side note, mm-hmm. married to actor Patrick Wilson. Oh, very Of nice. the Conjuring films and uh, the Aquaman franchise. Noted handsome guy, Patrick very. Wilson. Very. About to save us from the moonfall, Patrick Wilson. The doctor that Le- uh, Lena Dunham uh, hooks up with for a steamy weekend in Girls. Is that Patrick Wilson? Was he in Girls? I didn't watch Girls. Oh, I was a fan. Yes, of you're right. Joshua. He was Joshua on Girls. Sorry, uh, folks. This is where you find out that I never watched Girls. I saw I saw individual episodes, but I never watched the whole show. I was a fan. I was a fan of the show. Well, you're very broad-minded. You're a very broad-minded individual, you know. I enjoy Broad City. The Lost Daughter. <laughs> worth checking out on Netflix. Let's it, bring it back. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a slow burn, but like yeah, the performances are riveting. Like I yeah, I, I just uh, I, I really got into the moments and uh, everything that happens feels fairly earned as well. And yeah, uh, worth checking out. But it's not bombastic. Just settle in. At no point does Shaggy appear to perform the 90s hit Boombastic. We should point that out. Thank you. Kind of thought that was coming. They're on an island vacation. I don't know why I expected that. I don't know why you expected it either, but we should point that out. But I I really like this movie. The Lost Art is available on Netflix now. We also watched... Listen, we opened the book. We've turned some pages. We're, I guess we're in the second chapter at this point of the Book of Boba Fett. I've already the, read two chapters of the Book of too, Boba Fett. Me too. Not a lot uh, going on. Disney Plus. <laughs> Not a lot of there there. Here's the thing. I I re- So you're touching on uh, like w- w- where I'm kind of some territory I'm in. I really disliked the first wow. episode. Um, the Truth box. Epi- Get ready, folks. The second episode... It, it, it pulled me in a little more. I, I liked... Th- I Here's the thing. I think moment to moment, scene to scene, I like it. It feels mm. a lot like The Mandalorian. It's that very episodic kind of Western influence, very yes. straight ahead, sort of serialized adventure storytelling. They're doing a good job of that. There's a lot of beats that I like. There's a lot of little character stuff that I like. I thought the whole... Uh, vision quest and him, you know, sort of getting into Tuscan culture and learning about Raiders society was really good. And all that Lawrence of Arabia stuff worked really well. 
it's it, these are kind of beats that they've played a little bit before on some of the other shows, but that it, it all works. Having said all of that, overall as a show, it's really not doing anything. I, I it, it feels like um, they're not even they're not even really investing in the in the overall. I, I don't I don't feel like we have any sort of sense of what's motivating this character uh-huh. or who he really is or why any of this is happening. How he kind of came to power or what his pa- or what his bounty hunter power or whatever like Yeah, they're they're doing a dual it's it's a parallel narrative. So we're following yes. post Mandalorian uh Boba Fett and Fennec Shand, his new, you know, sort of sidekick mercenary Ming friend. Ming Nguyen. They are sort of consolidating power in Tatooine and trying to install themselves as the new heads of what used to be the Jabba the Hutt sort of organized crime ring. Yeah. And then uh, we're also flashing back to immediately after he was in the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi and freed yes. himself and like what he's been doing on Tatooine this entire time. So I'm sure a lot of these details will be filled in over the course of the first season. But usually... In the first episode of a TV show, you'd be given enough information about the main character to be like, here's who they are, here's what they want, here's why you mm-hmm. should invest in this journey. And they're just, they just didn't. They're just assuming that he's Boba Fett and we're in on the basis of him being Boba Fett. And I don't know, it feels a little, it feels a little lazy to me. I've always loved this guy's cool suit. I always love it when he turns up. I don't get enough of him. And now it's like, here's a bunch of them. And... The reason why I didn't like the first episode uh, specifically, uh, there was a really poorly choreographed fight, which should have been like, could have been like a tentpole of the episode. And I just thought it was so forgettable. This is the one with the shield, the shield guy. Yeah, a bunch of like space ninjas with electric shields uh, um, uh, jump Ming-Na Wen and Boba Fett. Notice I used the names of... Like, uh, tomorrow Morrison. Fennec Shand. Fennec Shand is McNoan's name. For, for the rest of my talking about Boba Fett, I will say the actress's name and the one character's name. But yeah, they, they get jumped, and uh, it's just such a forgettable, poorly choreographed, poorly shot. I'm like, wait, how? What? And then it's like, oh, so Mandalorian is like, like you, you could picture Mandalorian just laying waste to these guys and flying up with his jetpack and doing all... And, like, this is just, like, ham-fisted and clumsy. Uh, and then also, something that's bugging me a little bit, it seems like uh, Fennec Shan's dialogue with Boba Fett is just a little too glib there and forced. It's almost got that... So at When Marvel movies are at their worst and and the characters are getting a little too quippy with each other but it seems shoehorned. I don't know. It's got a little bit of that vibe to it. And I normally really enjoy Ming-Na Wen, and the, but like her, I don't know, some of her one-liners to, uh, to Boba Fett. It's not that it's bad, I don't think. It's, it's underwhelming. It doesn't feel like a fresh take. It feels like more, more of the Mandalorian style, but with this other character. And I don't know. I don't think it's all bad. I think they're doing some interesting, cool stuff. Obviously that like Wookie, new Wookie guy we met looks cool. The black and, Wookie, the black. Yeah, there's Wookie. there's moments that I like, but I, I I don't know. In in general, it feels like I was hoping this is only our second Disney Plus Star Wars series mm-hmm. that we would be or live action that we would be you know exploring some kind of new terrain, and instead it's like another guy in Mandalorian armor on yeah. Tatooine having these very 
weekly sort of, you know, like fight the monster, save the tribe, help the people. It feels like, and you know what? Like, I don't have a problem with, if you wanted to do a straight up like 50s style Western, like if you want to do Have Gun, Will Travel, but with Boba Fett, great. But in that case, don't tease an overarching story. There is no overarching story on Have Gun, Will Travel. It's about a guy named Paladin, and he lives in a hotel in San Francisco. And at the beginning of every episode, he gets a telegram like, please come to my ranch. A guy's trying to steal my cattle. And he's like, I'm going to go. And then that's the episode. And it's like, I would be fine with that. I just like, don't fake us out like you're going to do this overarching story and then not do it. There, there's nothing that is quite yet driving the narrative the same way that the Mandalorian getting Grogu uh, to safety drove the narrative. Right, and that's the first episode. You meet Grogu in the very first episode. Yeah, you get that right out of the gate, and uh, and the, the it's so compelling, and it's like, damn, we're off to the races. And, yeah, in, in this, it's like, okay, yeah, what? why are we here? But I will say this, uh, echoing what Lon was saying, regarding the Tusken Raiders uh, uh, lineage and like and, and uh, the Boba Fett having to go on that vision quest and everything that stuff was pretty cool the the action set piece uh, big action set piece with the, with the train it's pretty good it is a little bit of a half-cocked plan <laughs> uh, where Boba Fett's like oh I can stop that train and then it's just like it seems like all right let's throw some shit against yeah. the wall hey he's using his whole cock all right True. You know who else is? Peacock. Uh, but yeah, uh, I thought the second episode was better. And yeah, there was some cool, there's some cool fan service with the characters that pop up in the second episode. It's interesting. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep watching. But right now, it's like a lesser Mandalorian to me. There you go. That's you it, go. folks. Uh, the Book of Boba Fett. It's on Disney Plus for you. Who wrote the Book of Boba Fett? Do we know? George Lucas. Oh, okay, good, fair, fair enough. Yeah, there's no Werner Herzog, though, like, you know, in that first episode of Mandalorian. Oh, should have just recast, uh... He, he Herzog sh back. He should just, <laughs> he should be the voice of that Wookiee. That's what I think. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That would be a real coup. And we watched one more Disney Plus offering, uh, recently dropped on the service, Encanto, uh, Disney film from 2021, and yeah, you know, Lon pushed me into watching this, and I definitely enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I'm smart. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Oh, Lon, I think you're one of the uh, you're, you're one of the finest minds in streaming. Wow, look at that! High praise. Uh, yes. Yeah, I thought this was uh, this was great. I I uh, I don't always love the Disney musicals. I always I always enjoy them, but this one I feel like is a, is a cut above. Like I would say, this is probably the best recent Disney, non-Pixar Disney animated musical. Probably the one I've enjoyed the most in a, in a yeah. while. And uh, it does, it feels like the kind of the marriage of what Walt Disney Studios does well, like the animated musical for families. It's very quirky. It almost feels like it could become a ride. There's a lot of like fun, silly supporting characters, but it has that Pixar sort of intelligence and cleverness. And it's really sort of like worked out and the whole world was really like elaborately sort of thought out. So yeah, it's kind of like they're they're taking a lot of, the right cues from the success of Pixar movies uh, and sort of baking them into the core Disney formula. Yeah, uh, 
Agreed. And I think one other element that lifted the material here were the uh, songs of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, the So many of the songs in this movie just were elevated above like, you know, quirky, cute songs, even though there's many, listen, there's many banger, there's many bangers in the uh, Disney catalog, obviously. But this, these songs were like, they felt like anthems and they didn't feel like pandering to kids. They, they were, there was a real, like, for lack of a better word, just like an adult musical feel, a Broadway feel uh, to the the scope and the type of music we were listening to in uh, in the music with in regards to the musical elements of this film. And I was I found myself enjoying them way more because I'm same as Lon. I'm I'm just a uh, I'm a crotchety uh, middle aged piece of shit, and I don't I'm not uh, opening my heart to Disney. Uh, like <laughs> immediately and this like these songs got me and I was really kind of vibing with this movie and it was also beautiful to look at and also you know it's it's a fantastical magical realm but we're also dealing with some cool elements of Latin culture in these characters lives and I really enjoyed like they don't beat you over the head with it but you're just immersed in it and it's very enjoyable and it's about this magic village in South America, I guess. Colombia. Supposed to be Colombia. Gotcha. And ma magic village in Colombia and the specificity of the magic, like you don't get the entire picture of it, but what they do give you it's fun and everyone has these magic powers and then like, oh, is the magic in question now? And you go on this journey and it's there, even though it's big and fantastical, there are elements about fitting in, about family, about, you know, learning what's most valuable in life. This is really what sets it apart from a lot of the other, like all, all the all the Disney movies. They have nice messages. They're all about stuff. They're all they're all imparting some kind of wisdom to to kids and who are watching. But yeah. this one, I feel like, is a more it's it's really got a lot of stuff going on, and it's it's really about stuff, and it has real insight into stuff like anxiety yes. and and feeling and feeling like uh, defined by what you can do and your abilities and that kind of like. Are, are we just our work and are we just what we're skilled at or are we something more? And and then obviously, it you know, it is it is set in Colombia. It is about this sort of the country's history of violence and civil war and, and immigration and these stories and like finding some sort of meaning in that mm -hmm. struggle and finding some sort of future beyond that struggle. And it's really beautifully done. Yeah. And, and it, it's working on all these levels at once because it is also just a Broadway musical style animated mm -hmm. family movie, but it is working on this other level where I, I related to it more than a lot of the traditional Disney films, especially in terms of, yeah, how it is of like being, you know, defined by your talents and then unable to sort of perform if you feel... You know, like this. This is this is what defines me, and this is all that I know mm -hmm. how to do. And uh, it, it's pretty insightful, I think, about a lot of that absolutely. Stuff. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, the anxiety and like uh, and, and panic because our central character, uh, the the young lady that we're following, she has this vision. I'm not going to give too much away, and it's a very dark vision. And she goes to the rest of her family to tell about it, and and then it's it doesn't manifest in the same way as when she's trying to tell them. And that is that really hit me as trying to communicate a panic attack or when you're going through something, but you can't impart it to everyone because it's kind of in your mind and you're dealing 
uh, with that kind of upheaval. I thought it was really well done in that respect as well. Uh, uh, really uh, second what Lon's saying there. And yeah, the, the songs are great. It's beautiful. Uh, absolutely uh, worth checking out. It's uh, above and beyond expectations. Encanto on Disney+. Plus. There you go. You got there. So, Lon, I think uh, I think we've talked about everything we uh, we came. I think we've done all the business we came to do. I'm sick to death of it. Yeah, Let's I know, wrap I know this you up. Want it. I, I know you want to get to your uh, uh, your Sunday fun day. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm heading. I'm heading to the beach literally right after. Loving it. The moment the moment we hit stop, I'm I'm out the door, folks. Lon's got some uh, fun on the docket, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, Got to give uh, a, a shout out to Owl Nation. Hoot hoot. Uh, where my hooligans at? Also want to give a shout out to Starburns Audio. Thank you for having us. Also going to give a shout out to super producer Travis Reeves. Travis, thank you for holding it down. Thank you to Jason Kay for our opening music. Thank you, Lon Harris, for talking with me again this week. Always a pleasure. Lon, uh, do you want to tell folks uh, anything, something? Uh, they should come follow me on Twitter if they're not already. What the hell are they waiting for? At L-O-N-S is where to find me. And uh, you should also check out my other podcast. It's called Garmin Shosia. It's part of the Content Candy Network. So just look for Content Candy wherever you find your podcast and you'll drill right there. That's me and uh, Drew Grant, uh, Video Drew from the Schmodown, just talking about whatever. Probably Yellow Jackets this week because she's obsessed. There you go. And you can find me at Hal Rudnick on Twitter and Instagram at Hal Rudnick. Uh, come, uh, yeah, come talk some shit and uh, we'll have a good time. <laughs> like, like the gangster party oh, line. Like, you yeah, want to talk Bert some Weinbach. shit? That's a great, that's a great sketch. Brett Weinbach, yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye now. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys.